I love the book of Acts. I really do. I love, I love all, all the books in the Bible, but I really love the book of Acts because it speaks to the church. Amen? It speaks directly to the church. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons what the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the moving of your spirit. Lord God, I, I just believe tonight. Lord, that if we open our hearts to you, Lord, you promise to fill us with your presence, with your spirit. You promised, oh God, to undergird our worship, Lord, to inhabit our praise, to inhabit our, our worship, Lord. And the word inhabit we know to mean, oh God, to literally get involved, get in the midst of. We know you're in our midst, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for your word. Lord, and I pray that through your word, your preached word, God, that you would do a mighty work in our heart by your spirit. Strengthen us empower us and God that you give us a fresh vision from heaven Lord as your body you give us a fresh vision that you give us holy boldness holy passion Lord that you would ignite in our heart Lord to go and do what you've called us to do we thank you for it we glorify you we honor you and I pray God and I ask and believe you to be exalted in this house tonight in Jesus name amen and amen I want to speak a message entitled the promise the power the purpose and the kingdom the promise, the power, the purpose, and the kingdom. Amen. I believe and know that God has a great purpose for his church. I don't believe that because somebody told me that. I believe that God has a great promise and purpose for his church simply because his word says it. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it with the early church. We see it with the, a, a people whom, whom were willing to set aside things to get what God had wanted to give them. We see a church who was fully given to God and a church who was on a mission. Church, we're on a mission. We have a mission. And if you didn't know, we've been commissioned. Amen. We have a mission and we've been commissioned. Do we not understand? We also have been called to this great, awesome purpose and it's no different than what we read in the book of Acts. It really is no different than what we read in the book of Acts. This is the purpose. This is the intent of God's promised spirit. It's to equip it's to empower a people to, to, to get out of the natural realm of things and to step into heaven, to bring what's in heaven on the earth. I said the early church was noted as world changers. The early church was noted as they, the Bible says in Acts 17, these are they who turn the world upside down. I'm talking about church opening up ourselves to God, getting into the depths and the place of God, where there's something on the inside of you that you would say as Jeremiah, his word is hidden in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. He said, the moment I was going to contain this word and not say what God had told me to say, he said, it rose up in me like a fire shut up in my bones. I believe God wants to put this fire in our hearts. I believe God wants to minister to us by his spirit because this is the ultimate intent and purpose of the cross. Great and greatly is the Lord to be praised for our salvation, for the blood. But let us not forget the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which makes the church the empowered, driven church that we see in the book of Acts. Their goals were not to receive more attendance, though it came. 
Their, their goals were not to receive more money nor accolades from their community. But listen, the early church's goal was purpose and goal was to glorify Christ Jesus. That was their goal. And because they were focused, because their mind, their heart, their eyes were set up on Jesus, and in their heart they said, listen, it's not for my own fame. It's not for my own reputation. It's not for me to build my own name. It's not for my own kingdom. It's for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. My eyes are steadily focused. This was the heart of the early church, upon the glorification and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. When they came together, they didn't spend time begging and praying for earthly things. And seeking their own interest and looking to build their own brand and name. Even though we do believe and pray for things that affect us here on the earth. But the reality is when they came together and when they bowed their heads, they prayed this. In paraphrasing it, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When we see in the book of Acts the early church gathering together, their purpose and their, their focus was about Jesus Christ being exalted to a lost and dying world. Their focus was to receive from heaven what God wanted to give them to be a light unto this world. What did Jesus say? I believe we got to get this in our spirit tonight. You are the salt of the earth. We're waiting for somebody else to do what God is wanting to anoint us to do. We, you individually, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, listen, it's no good for thing, anything but to be trampled a foot under men. He says, then you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Hallelujah. This is the church I'm talking about. I'm talking about a kingdom that's not built or established by man. I'm talking about a kingdom that is built and established by the supernatural power of the living God. I'm talking about a kingdom on the inside of us. Notice Jesus said when, when talking to some religious leaders, he says, listen, the kingdom does not come with observation. It's not a building. It's not something you say, see here or look here. He said, but the kingdom of God is within you. Glory to God. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. And listen, this kingdom, God wants to give us the kingdom. He wants to put it in our heart that it may spill out. God desires his kingdom come and his will to be done on the earth. And guess what? That does not take place without the church. Unless the church opens up to the Lord, unless the church responds to the call, unless the church gets into the river, unless the church understands our purpose and the intent and the reason why Jesus went to that cross, we will never be the people that are consecrated, set apart to do what God has called us to do, which is to cause his kingdom to sit right here on the earth. For the kingdom does not come or is made manifest without the church. And here's the thing. The kingdom can never come in its fullness without the promise of God's Spirit. I said it can never come in its fullness without the promise of God's Spirit. The, 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 the reality is, is that the kingdom of God is not just in word, 1 Corinthians 5.20, but it's in power. Did you hear that? The kingdom of God is not word, but it's power. Paul said, I didn't come to you with persuasive men's of words of, of man's wisdom. I didn't come to you with my own philosophy or theology and education. I came to you in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of the living God. Now note, the people whom he's talking to were unbelievers initially. The Corinthian, Paul was used as an apostle to establish the Corinthian church. You can read it in Acts 18. But the, they weren't saved when he came to them. They were lost. And he said, I didn't come to you with my own enticing words or man's enticing words or education or seminary lesson, I came to you in the demonstration of power. Matter of fact, I made it um, known in my spirit that I wasn't going to come to preach anything but Christ and Him crucified. And the reality is, 
we have got to set our focus back on what God wants, and it's his kingdom. It's his purpose. It's his purpose. And the reality is the kingdom can't come unless we have the promise of God's spirit. The true church of Jesus Christ cannot be overthrown by man or any devil. In Acts 5, we read exactly this. Gamaliel. The Bible declares an a, a Pharisee, one whom Paul was raised under. The Bible declares this man, as the early church was going forth in the power of God, things were being turned upside down in the world in which they were living because of God's demonstrative power in the church. The Bible declares that this man stood up and he says, Hey, listen, before you fight against this thing, understand this. If man built it, it will fall. If man constructed this movement, if man is leading this movement, I can promise you, Gamaliel said, it will fall. It will not work. Listen, church, if we do anything in our own flesh, it will fall. If we do anything in our own strength, it will fall. If we try to create a technique that's outside of the word of God, if we try to do anything without the leading and direction and the power of God's spirit, it will fall. If we create it in our own strength and our own wisdom and our own intellect, it will fall. But note what Gamaliel said after this. He said, if man does it, if man creates it, it will fall. But he said, if God did it. Come on. If God built it, if God is moving in these people's life, if God is causing this world to turn upside through these people, I don't care what you do. I don't care what devil comes. You cannot overthrow it. I'm talking about a kingdom that's not, from, that, that's not on the earth. I'm talking about a kingdom from above. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about, hallelujah, the new Jerusalem, the city of the living God. The Bible declares that we are a part of this kingdom. We've come to Christ so that we may be used for his glorious purpose to see the kingdom come right where we live. Unless the Lord build the house, what's the scripture say? They who labor, labor in vain. Unless that Lord, unless he is Lord over our lives and over, over the fellowship of our gatherings and over this church, he says, they who labor, labor in vain. The church that Jesus birthed, listen, is a supernatural church. The church that Jesus birthed was a supernatural church. You can pick up your Bible. And if you read that Bible, the book of Acts, namely, you will find real quick that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, you'll find the intent and the reason why he went there. It was to put what was in him in them. Listen, when Jesus was on the earth, he could be only at one place at, at certain times. He, he was limited to where he could go. He was fully man. But when now he's at the right hand of the Father, guess what? He puts his spirit in us. And now he can be at many places. Come on. At many times. Because his spirit is in us now. God wants to put what was in him in us. What we need to do today is get with Jesus. Peter and John, listen, this is what he says. The Bible declares in Acts chapter 4. The Bible declares as the early church was going through persecution, John and Peter were imprisoned for their faith. The Bible says they looked at the authorities and they began to speak boldly. The Bible says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to proclaimly bold to these officials, these religious hypocrites and leaders and high priests about this Christ who came and lived and died. And he proclaimed to them he was the Christ even in the face of unbelief. And when they proclaim this, they perceive something. They perceive not only were they unlearned and uneducated, that's what they said about them, but they knew one thing. Because of the boldness in which they spake, they knew they had been, listen, with Jesus. Church, we need to get with Jesus. If the world around us is going to be turned upside right, we need to get with Jesus. Hallelujah. I said if your family is going to get turned upside right, if the world around you, lost individuals around you at your workplace, where you go is going to get turned upside right for Christ, you've got to get with Jesus. You've got to, get with Je you've got to let what is in Jesus get on the inside of you. So number one, I want to say the promise. I want to speak about the promise. The promises of God are yes and amen. According to our, our text, we read exactly in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he said what? He said, 
I'm going away, but I'm sending you to Jerusalem. Tarry into Jerusalem. Just paraphrasing here. And wait for the promise of the Father, which, he says, you shall receive not many days from now. He says, Terry, because listen, the promise of the Father is coming. Now, I read in a, in a place in the Scripture that the promises of God in him are what? Yeah, and amen. And so no matter what man says, if God promises something, we can stand on it, we can count on it, we can trust him. Even if seminaries, even if organizations, even if denominations or preachers try and do away with the truth concerning this subject, it really means nothing to me. If you get a man alone on the island and you give him a Bible, he's never coming back and saying the gifts of the Spirit ain't for today. He's not going to do it. If you give a man a Bible and he's on the island, he has no seminary, he has no lectures, any of those things. If he just has his Bible in Jesus, he's coming back believing in a supernatural, powerful church. He's coming back believing exactly what the book of Acts says. He's coming back believing that this is a promise for today. Why? Because it's super clear in the Word of God. This is a promise. It's not something to be debated. It's not something to, be, to argue over. It's a promise. Where do we find this at? In the book of Acts chapter 2. Again, I'm speaking about the promise right here. There was the 120, and the promise came. The promised Holy Spirit. That's what the promise is. The promise was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The promise came, 120 were filled, and then Peter stands up in Acts 2. He begins to proclaim that all who call upon the Lord... All who call upon the Lord and your children's children, there's a promise for them. There's a promise for your children's children. It's to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what you just heard and what you saw that we received is the same promise for anybody else, for you and your children's children. For John the Baptist proclaimed this, and we know it. There is one, come on, coming after me. There's one coming after me. He will baptize you, he says. I baptize you into water and, and repentance, but there's one coming after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and that with the fire. Then Jesus proclaims it in John 7, 38 and 39. He looks forward to, to, the, to the future, and he says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This concerning the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given. You can read that in John 7. Then Peter proclaims it. And then in Acts chapter 4, we see it again. We see in Acts chapter 4, the Bible declares that the church got together. They were in a building. The Bible says, and as they prayed, the building was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who already were and those who weren't, they were all filled again with the Holy Spirit. And they went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. I'm talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's a promise. Jesus said, it's necessary that I go away. Some people have made it unnecessary, but I'm telling you, if the disciples needed the promise of the Spirit, if Jesus told the disciples who walked with him for three and a half years, it's necessary that you tarry into Jerusalem until you receive the promise, I'm telling you it's necessary for a supernatural church. It's necessary for the kingdom of God to come. We need the power of the Spirit of God. It's the promised Spirit. Acts 8, we see Philip the evangelist going through the Samaritan village. The Bible says demons come out with a loud voice. The Bible says healings and miracles took place. What was the purpose of it? To see lost souls saved. The whole Samaritan village got saved. The Bible says then Philip comes along. He's there. God takes him away. Peter and John hear about it. They hear about their conversion, hear about the water baptism. They go over to Samaria, and the Bible declares as they looked upon them, Peter perceived that the Holy Ghost had not yet fallen upon them. Now listen, they got saved. They got water baptized, but yet... The Spirit of God had not fallen upon any of them yet. And the Bible says that they laid hands on him. It was necessary. Come on. I said it was necessary in Peter's mind. 
It was necessary for Peter to look and say, have you received yet? No. Obviously, he knew. The Spirit let him know. The Spirit of God had not come upon these people in power yet. And he says it's necessary. So they laid hands on them, and the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, we see Paul. We see Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Bible says that as Ananias came to him, remember, God blinded him with the light from heaven, the light of his glory. The Bible declares that Paul received his sight when Ananias prayed for him. In Acts chapter 9, we see then that Ananias says, Brother Saul, receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do we know that Paul was baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking other tongues? Well, read 1 Corinthians 14. I speak in tongues more than you all. I pray in the Spirit, and I pray in my understanding. And when I speak in tongues, it's between me and God. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that there's three ways that tongues are used in the Bible. There's a tongue for a sign to unbelievers. Like you see in the book of Acts chapter 2. If I'm in Africa... And I don't know their language, and God wants to use me in a miraculous way. He could come upon me, and I could speak African, and somebody could get saved. That's tongue for a sign. But listen, there's also a tongue that Paul talked about in the verses 1 and 2 there of chapter 14. He said, it's between me and God. It's not for anybody. It's not even to be interpreted in the church. He said, it's between me and the Lord. He says, this is something that you receive. It's the evidence. Listen, here's what I'm saying. Jesus didn't put the emphasis on the tongues. He put the emphasis on the power. He put the emphasis on the promise. But listen, the tongue comes with the shoe. That's how I look at it. When you go to the store and you buy a shoe, there's going to be a tongue on it. The reality is, is that the emphasis is not that. Now, I know charismatic movements have made the emphasis about the tongues. But the reality is the emphasis is on the power of God in our heart, in our life. And then we'll talk about the purpose of that. But Acts 9, we see Paul filled. Acts 10, let's go on. Cornelius' household. The Bible declares, as Peter was preaching the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit came upon them in power, and they began to speak in other tongues and magnify God. Acts 19, Paul runs into some disciples, people who are believers, and he lays hands on them. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. He says what? He laid hands on them. He says, I know you got baptized in John's baptism, but did you not hear him? He said, there's one coming after him. Come on. Did you not hear John? He said, there's one coming after him. He shall baptize you with the Spirit and fire. So there it was in Acts 19 on the road to Ephesus. He meets these men. He lays hand on them, 12 men in all. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God came upon them. Listen to me, church. This is the promised Spirit. I will pour floods, Isaiah 44, upon the dry ground. We must get the heart of David when he said, as a deer pants after the water brooks, so, O God, will I pant after thee. Is your heart, come on, in this thing? Is your heart desirous weekly, daily to be filled with the Spirit of the living God? I want to say this too. Ephesians 5.18 says this, Be ye not drunk with wine. He says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just a one-time experience or a one-time encounter. I'm talking about the infilling and the baptism of the Spirit. It's an ongoing continuation of experiencing the power and the presence and the infilling and the immersing of the Holy Spirit. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why in the world did he say, be not drunk with wine? What does that have to do with that? Well, I'll tell you what it was. I believe I was praying and said, Lord, what is, what is that? When a man's drunk, he's altered. When a man's drunk, he's not himself. He's in another realm. He said, be ye not drunk with wine and the things of this world. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're not yourself. What I mean, not in a weird way, not in a funk. I'm talking about you're not yourself. You're not focusing on the natural things. You're in a spiritual realm. You're in heavenly places. God says, I want you to be so filled with my spirit where you're no longer looking through a natural view, a natural mindset. 
I want to place you in the heavens. I want to put my spirit in you. And I want you to walk to a different beat of a different drum. I want you to walk in my footsteps. And if that's going to happen, you must be filled with my spirit. Listen, church, it's not something for salvation. I get that. It's subsequent to salvation. But here's the reality. If the disciples needed it, I'm telling you, church, we need to preach it. We need to believe it. We need to stand up on it. And we need it. We need the infilling and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the power. The power. Jesus said, after that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Listen, you shall receive power. So we talked about the promise. It's a promise. You can stand on it. You can believe it. God says, I want to fill you with my spirit. That's the promise of God. If we open our heart in faith like a child, Jesus says, as long as the sin's out, the blood's there, I'll fill you with my spirit. That's the promise. But now we have the power. What's the, the promise? With the promise comes the power. The word power is dunamis. It means dynamite. It's supernatural power from God. It's the power which worked in Christ in every miracle and every healing. I said it's the same power which worked in Christ in every healing and every miracle. The Bible declares in Ephesians 1, it's the same power which raised Christ from the dead. Come on, church, I'm talking about something, hallelujah, deeper than, than, than something uh, in the natural room. I'm talking about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. He says it works toward us who believe. It's the same power which works in those who believe. And the same power that raised Christ above every principality and power is the same power, he says, which is in our hearts. But listen, we have got to yield. You've got to yield to the power of God in your life. It's the power of God which healed blind Bartimaeus. This is the same power I'm talking about. The power that heals blinded eyes. The power that Jesus proclaimed was upon him in Isaiah 61. The, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. To, to what? Set loose and free the captives. To let the prisoners go from the prison house. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to heal the brokenhearted and the blinded eyes and the deaf ears. This is the same power in which I'm speaking of. We cannot, listen, fulfill the purpose of God. We cannot see the kingdom come unless we are endued with the power from on high. We cannot do it. Because what was being done in the book of Acts is something not of this realm. It was something that was so different that it was literally affecting everybody they ran into. It was the power of the living God. We need the power of God. The power of God. The power which operated in Stephen. The Bible declares he was the first recorded martyr in Acts 7 and 6 and 7. You'll read about him. But he was an ordinary man. He was no man special. He didn't have a specific office in the church. He was a deacon. But other than that, we have no, no, no uh, you know, he was a pastor. He's an evangelist. He was an apostle. None of those things. But we know this. He believed God and had faith. And the Bible says through Stephen, whom was martyred, the Bible declares he worked signs and miracles where he was at. The power of God was upon his life. The power of God was upon his life to do God's will and to see the kingdom come. He told his disciples, freely you have. This is Jesus speaking. Freely give. So Jesus is wanting to freely give us something. His power. He's not withholding. The Bible says in Psalms 82 and 84, he does not withhold anything from the upright. Come on. I said he withholds no good thing from the upright. God will not withhold his power. God's not going to withhold his promise. But he's looking for hungry hearts. He's looking for hearts that are surrendered and devoted and dependent upon him. And he says, I want to flood you with my spirit and my power. And I said earlier, the kingdom of God is not in word. But listen, it is in power and demonstration of the spirit. He does more, listen, than we ask or we can think according to the power which worketh in us. For the glory of his name. This same power is given through and way of the infilling 
of the Spirit. Number three, the purpose. The purpose. To be as witnesses, the most neglected ministry in the church is the ministry we are all called to. Now look what Jesus said in our text, Acts 1. You'll find that Jesus proclaimed about the promise of the Father. He talked about the power that was going to come with the promise. But what was the power for? I'll say this. The purpose of the power was to live, to live before the Lord. Yeah, sure. The power of God in our life is, is power to live a holy life. It's, it, 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 being filled with the Spirit even deepens your worship. It deepens your prayer life. It, it deepens those things. Sure, I'm not, I'm not here to teach on those things tonight, but I'm just kind of outlining the, 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 the main stuff here. The Bible declares that it was the promise, it was the power, but there was a purpose. Everybody say there was a purpose. There was a purpose. What did he say? Here's the main purpose for the power of God on his church, to be my witnesses unto Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, that's the pastor's job. It's all of our job. The Bible declares, Jesus said in Matthew 28, go ye therefore, come on, that's a command, not a suggestion, go therefore into this world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into this world and preach the gospel to every creature. The purpose of the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit was surrounded in the fact that there's lost souls out there, and I'm going to baptize these people. They're going to be so full of the power and the love and of the Spirit of the living God where they're going to go out and witness this gospel. I don't know about you, but when I got born again, it was awesome. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit a week after, I spoke with other tongues for two hours. Nobody jiggled my jaw. Nobody pushed me over. Nobody helped me out. It was me and God. He baptized me in the Spirit, and immediately, just like Paul, I found myself preaching about the Christ. I said, power from on high to be his witness. I believe the church must recover its purpose in the time in which we're living, and the purpose is to seek and to save that which is lost. It was Jesus' mission. It was Jesus' heart while he was on the earth, and may I say today, his heartbeat is still lost sinners. The purpose of the power and the promise of the Spirit was more so that we would become mighty, empowered witnesses of this great gospel. Churches have become more concerned about ourselves and marketing schemes and techniques and building their own name and kingdom. And in doing so, we've neglected what the church was birthed for. Now listen, ministry here is important. What goes on here is important. The Bible declares that the, the, the prophets, apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers are given to the body to equip them for the work of ministry but also to edify the body, that we all come to the same knowledge of the Son of Man. So what goes on in the church is very necessary, very important, but what goes on out there still has God's heart too. God is concerned not just with what's going on in here, but He's concerned with what's going on out there. I will tell you, here's two big concerns that God has. Here it is, the consecration and sanctification of His saints and salvation to lost souls. You can sum it up in that in the Bible. The consecration and the sanctification of God's people and lost souls. You say, how do I know that? The Bible says Jesus is our example, amen? 60%, if you study it, the statistics, 60% of Jesus' ministry, you know where it was spent? On the street. 60%. Are we following Jesus? Are we following Jesus? Am I so, listen, we need to be in a place where I'm so filled with God's spirit. I'm so filled with the power of the living God where I feel like preaching. 
I didn't say you had to be some uh, apologist to get out there. I'm talking about just the simplicity of the gospel with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I have seen people, hard shells, break under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I've seen a man in a jail cell so hard, I'm telling you, you couldn't crack him if you had an 18-wheeler. He was so hard. But when he came up to that jail cell and he heard the gospel preach, I saw this hard man tatted all up. You could know he was in. He talked about his drug addictions. He talked about his past hard life. But he came up to that cell, and I began to preach the simplicity of Christ Jesus. And the man who came real hard-hearted was the same man I was looking at in the middle of that preaching. And tears were flowing down his eyes. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I've seen it over and over again, the simplicity of the gospel. I never waited to go to seminary before I preached. Come on, out to the center. The power of God was upon me, and I had a message. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Repent of your sins. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. Listen, under the law of God, every mouth is closed. You cannot compare yourself to God's law and expect to get into heaven. But if you compare yourself to God's law, it will shut your mouth real fast, and you'll understand that you need a Savior. But once I get you to understand you need a Savior, I can talk to you about this cross. I can talk to you about the great love of Jesus. While you are a sinner, I can bring the good news, and I'll watch how the Holy Spirit begins to minister and to convict those hearts. And then to make a decision, either to reject or to receive. The Spirit of God be dealing with them. And I've seen them resist. I've seen them reject. And I've seen them. And I say, do you want to be forgiven of your sin? Yeah, but do you want to be free? And some of them come way back. I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to be free from my sin. I don't know if I'm going to count the cost. I don't know about all that. But my, my point is, is this. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what's the purpose of it? When it concerns the body of Christ. What's the purpose of what Jesus says here in Acts chapter 1? He says, I'm going to give you the promised spirit, church. I'm going to give you my power for the purpose of becoming a witness. A witness for my namesake. Acts chapter 4, the Bible says they were filled with the spirit, as I mentioned earlier. And what's the Bible say? They spoke the word of God immediately with boldness. Acts chapter 8, Saul, before he was changed, before he was converted, the Bible declares that he went out persecuting the body of Christ, murdering Christians. That's what Paul was doing. And the Bible declares that the men and women were scattered abroad everywhere. This is Acts 8. You can read it. They were scattered abroad. Men and women, ordinary people, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says they were scattered about, and everywhere they went, they preached the word of the Lord. They didn't wait for Peter the apostle to show up. They didn't wait for the prophet John to show up. Come on. They went out, and they proclaimed the gospel with the anointing and the power of God. And wherever they went, the world was affected around them. Souls were being saved and delivered. Demons were coming out. The miraculous was taking place. And may I say, listen, church, God heals people within the body of Christ. The gifts of the spirit of healing and miracles do take place in the body of Christ. But do you want to know the overall emphasis of miracles and healings in the Bible? Read the book of Acts. Why did God do a miraculous thing out in the public? It was always so clear to save sinners. Acts chapter 3, he heals the layman at the gate. What was the purpose for it? The purpose was so that people would see and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, the Bible declares Peter comes into a town. He not only raises up Dorcas, whom died, a widow, but also the Bible says Aeneas, there was a man whom had died, and he goes to him, and, and God uses Peter to raise him up. And what was Peter's prayer? Lord, for the glory of your name. And he knelt down, he prayed, and then he laid hands on the man. He told him, Aeneas, I tell you, that, I'm sorry, he was lame, not dead. He was lame. Get up and rise up and walk. The whole city was one to the Lord because of that. The, the, the widow whom, whom was used, Peter was used in Acts chapter 8, I believe, or 9. The Bible declares when he 
healed this, this woman or raised this woman from the dead, the whole city was one to the Lord. You see, the purpose and the intent of the power of God is so that sinners be saved. I know sometimes we become so inner-focused, and it's easy to do. But church, God is still seeking and saving that which is lost. God is still concerned about the lost man. I'm thankful he was concerned about me. Not when I got saved. He was concerned about every one of us before we ever came to know him. He was drawing us and wooing us, and, and he was dealing with our hearts ever before we ever made a decision to come to him. He was concerned about my soul, and I'm thankful that somebody planted the seed of the gospel in my heart. I'm thankful for the seed of the gospel. I'm thankful that I could have some kind of foundation to go back upon, that there was this great God who became a man, humbled himself and died and hung high and was stretched wide upon a tree for me. And that word, that seed was in my heart, and when the Spirit of God began to deal with me, thank God someone preached, thank God somebody with the power of God in their life told me about this Jesus. Listen, church, we must open up our mouth and proclaim and not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we need the power. We need the promised Spirit. We need the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand our purpose. We need to understand the purpose of it. And it's to go out and to be mighty witnesses for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's way of saving lost people is a people full of His Spirit and power who proclaim the good news. What's the Bible say in Ephesians 5? Redeem the time because the days are evil. As I spoke about a little bit this morning, church time never stops. It's just clicking. The clock's just clicking. It's ticking. The reality is he says redeem the time. If you don't redeem it, you'll lose it. I said, if you don't redeem it, you'll lose it. You'll look up one day and you'll go, man, I've done nothing. You can read about that man and the parables in the book of Matthew. He was given the master's goods. Church, we've been given some goods. I'm telling you, we've been given the best of the best. We've been given salvation. We've been given the blood. We've been given the spirit. We've received these promises. And what do we do with them? That man that didn't do anything with it, there was no evidence, no substance to his faith and claim to Christ what happened? The Bible declares the men who did something with it, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. But that last man, God said, where is the interest? Where, where's, where is the evidence? Where, where, I, I, I instilled my goods into your heart. I, I gave you something. And you did nothing with it. And the Bible says, tie that wicked and lazy, slothful servant and cast him into darkness away from me. I'm telling you, church, this is real. God instilled his goods to us. God has given us his goods. What are we doing with it? God has given us his good. God has given us the promise of the Spirit. God has given us his power so that this world would be changed, so that our lost family would be saved through our witness, so that the people around us in the community would be changed by the power of the living God, that we go out with boldness and proclaim the good news. Woe is us if we preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we have to be in our heart. Woe is me if I don't tell somebody about Jesus. Woe is me if I don't redeem the time and give time to, to speaking to somebody about this great Christ who saved me. Marty, I like to think of it like this. I like to take it personal. And how I do that is simply this. I say, how could I, how dare I get saved from the pit of destruction? How dare I, how dare me, God saved me from the pit of destruction, changed my life, put his spirit in me, and me sit on it. And tell nobody else about this great Savior and great God. How dare I? Come on, make it personal tonight. Get it, per get it down in your spirit. How dare you close your mouth? 
How dare you not say something to that man who's falling into an eternity without God? How dare you not open your mouth? Come on, I'm talking about we need to open up to the Lord tonight. Let him do something supernatural in us. Well, I'm timid. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm an awkward person. I don't know if I can do that. Listen, let me tell you, there was a lot of timid people, I'm sure, in the early church. But once they got filled with the Holy Spirit, once they were continually in the place where God wanted them to be, listen, they were given boldness and power from on high. And they went out and they shared this great news with the lost and dying world. Listen, the reason why God's judgment hasn't come to this lost and dying world, the reason why God has tarried in His coming, you know what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3? Because God is long-suffering. The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. He wills that no man perish, but that everybody come to repentance. Jesus Christ desires, the Bible says, all men to be saved. He is the propitiation, not for our sins, not just the church, but for the sins of the whole world. The Bible then declares that He is the Savior, especially of those who believe, but He's also the Savior of the world. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus said in Isaiah 55, God said, look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. We need to be pointing a good high finger, full of the anointing of the Spirit, proclaiming with a loud voice that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and the world must repent, or likewise, Jesus said, they'll perish. Do we care? Do we have a concern tonight? If you don't, let God give you one. Let God lay into you what he's concerned about. I'm telling you, I've been in the presence of the Lord, and I have dared pray this prayer, and I dare you to pray it. Lord, give me your burden. Help me to feel what you feel when somebody enters into eternity without you. Help me to feel the grief that you had in Genesis 6 when you were grieved in your heart that man became wicked. Help me to feel the grief. Help me to feel the hurt. Help me to feel it. You know, in Ezekiel, he told Ezekiel the prophet, he says, tell him, Ezekiel, He says, they have crushed my heart. You can read it in the book of Ezekiel chapter 9. My heart is crushed, or chapter 2, because of their eyes that look to other things. I said God's heart can be grieved. God's heart can be crushed and broken. He's a real God who can feel. He really does have emotions. They're not petty like humans. They're legitimate emotions. You know what, if you ever lost somebody close to you, if you ever lost a family member, if you ever lost a child, a son or a daughter, that is terrible grief. It's legitimate grief. It's not petty emotions. It's real. It's a real grief. It's a real cry. It's a real sorrow. See, God don't have petty emotions. He has real grief. He has real sorrow. The Bible declares God is love, and God loved the whole world. That's the simplicity of the Christ, and he came to save this wicked, lost, dying world. God brought us out of the pit of despair and darkness. How dare we keep it contained in a building? I said, how dare we keep it contained in a building? God brought us out of this pit. Let God bring us to a place tonight in our heart, in our mind. Lord, only he knows where you are. Only he knows if you really care about the law. Only he knows if you're empowered by his spirit. Only he knows. And we got to open our heart to say, God, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. But, God, I want to be that supernatural church that you died for. I want to be the church of the living God. Jesus came, the Bible says, and we heard it earlier, to seek and save that which is lost. What God desires today is souls. I've got news to tell you. Revival happens not only when somebody's dead within the church that comes to life, but real revival happens on the street when lost souls, whom are dead in their sins, come to life, whom are blind but they see. You know, if you ever died and, and you fell out and we took you to the emergency room and they, they, they bring you back, that's what, that's what it means to they're reviving you. Why? Because you're dead. You lost your heartbeat. 
Are there people in the church who lost their heartbeat? Oh, yeah. But the reality is they don't have a heartbeat out there. They're dead in their sin and their trespasses. They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they need an empowered, anointed people to bring it. The simplicity of Christ Jesus. So we see the promise of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and now we have the purpose of the Spirit. Number four, the kingdom. This is the last thing I want to say, the kingdom, real quick. Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. You know, the kingdom in the Bible is spoken about like this. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But then we also see that the kingdom also is something that is in us, right? As, as I quoted earlier, it doesn't come with observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. Yes, the peace of God, the joy of God, the righteousness of Christ. But also the kingdom represents heaven. It represents where God is. And it represents his authority, and it represents his power and his presence. And so what did Jesus say? Preach to them the kingdom of God. What did they say? He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Where Jesus is, the kingdom is. Come on. Where, Jesus, where his people are, the kingdom is. God wants us to be in a place that where we are, the kingdom manifests. The power, the authority of God manifests. It's the Father's, the Bible says, good pleasure to give us the kingdom. The kingdom also is this. It's a harvest of souls. Jesus likened the kingdom. He says, let me show you. Let me give you a picture. Let me give you an illustration. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He says, you put that seed into the ground. He says, and you, look, you, you turn around. He says, you look back. He said, it's the smallest of all seeds. But then he says, you turn around, you look back. It's brought forth a tree larger than any tree. It's got big, large branches. And he says, the birds of the air are nesting in it. That was the picture he gave of the kingdom. What's that seed represent? The word of God. Paul says, I plant one waters. God give it the increase. When we go out and we faithfully witness, share the gospel, share our testimony, share the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for a lost and dying world, with the anointing and the power of the Spirit, God's saying, it's my good pleasure to give you a harvest of souls. It's, it's my good pleasure for you to see the kingdom, the harvest of souls, come to know me. And God says, I am looking. What do he say? He says, the harvest is ripe. It's white. It's ready. The fields are ready. They're white, ready for picking. But he says, the laborers are few. God's given us his spirit. Upon my men servants and upon my maid servants will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That prophecy has to do with proclaiming the word of God. Hallelujah. God says he wants us to be filled with his spirit, and he wants the kingdom of God to again be manifested in this world in which we're living. And it only happens through the church. I want to see the kingdom come. Jesus said, pray this, be kingdom-minded, be heavenly-minded. When you pray, pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Whatever's up there, your prayer should be to come here. And God, we know, is going to use us for that to happen. Would you stand with me? Would you please come? The promise of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit, and then the manifest kingdom of God. Listen, I believe that God wants to take us to a place. You know, I had to humble myself 
Before I began going out on the streets and going to the jails and preaching the gospel, it was kind of terrifying, to be honest. It was kind of one of those things was, man, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? I had those thoughts, but I had to take them captive. I say, Lord, no, this is, this is, this is why you came. Whoever is ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of him before my father on that day. I said, Lord, what I need is more of you. I need to be in a place. I need to open up myself, my soul, my heart, my mind to your power, to your demonstrative spirit and work in my life, to where I will boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord, no matter who it is. I don't care about, and listen, I had to get to a place. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about being, listen, you can't care about being persecuted or your reputation in the community. The early church was not concerned about their reputation in the community. They were not concerned about their status in the community. They were concerned about the kingdom. If we want what the Bible declares, listen, I got in my spirit, and the Lord put this in my spirit, and I was weeping and crying thinking about it. I said, Lord, I read your Bible. I don't want this just to be a Bible story to my children. I want my children to see the demonstrative kingdom of God. I want to see, I want this to, I want to see what I read. And I want to believe what I read with no, with no unbelief in my heart. I want to stand and believe. And listen, if I'm not seeing it in my life, then God, I'm not where I need to be. I'm talking, remember, we talked about the narrow path. We're talking about following in Jesus' steps. What did Jesus do with his time? He ministered to his disciples. He took care of the ministry within the body of Christ. He went to the synagogues and to the church house. But you know what else he did? He went to that lost and dying world. And church, we need to be in a place in our heart, in our life, where you're so full of God. You're so full of the love of God shed abroad in your heart that you're compelled to open your mouth. If you begin to look at people with the idea of eternity, it changes things. Lord, put in my heart the reality of eternity without you. I dare you to pray it. I dare you to pray it. I dare us to pray that tonight. Put into me the reality of an eternity without you. Because when we understand and we get that, that burden from the Lord and we get that heartbeat of God, now we can get the kingdom. Now we're open hearts to receive the power and the boldness to do something about it. To be the demonstrative uh, um, evidence and, and, and witness to this lost and dying world. If I'm going to walk in my Lord's footsteps, I need what He had. Come on. I need what he had. You need what he has. The Bible says, if you're on the dry ground tonight, open up your heart. He says, I want to pour out my spirit upon you. I want to bless you. Some people are already pulling back. This is a, hard, a high calling. This is a high standard. Listen, it's the highest calling. I said it's higher than the President of the United States. It's higher than being... A, an official in the public. It's higher calling than anything we know about when it concerns humanity's titles and offices. It's the highest calling. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You name the name of the God who is above all gods. You represent the Lord of Lords, the King of glory, a high and exalted God. And that, that puts some fear of the Lord in my heart. Lord, I, I, I don't want to misrepresent you. And I don't want to stand before your throne ashamed because I did nothing with your goods. I want there to be substance and evidence to my faith. When the Bible declares in Hebrews 11, it talked about the hall of faith, right? 
We see these men of faith. Noah being warned of the things to come. He did what? By his faith, he went and he built the ark. We're talking about the kingdom. We're hearing about what Jesus did when we put our hands to the plow. But notice, Jesus said, if you put your hands to the plow, if anybody looks back, he's not fit for this kingdom. Your reputation has to be crucified. Listen, a long time ago, I had to get that under the blood. I had to get that to Christ. Lord, if I'm more concerned about how I look or the awkwardness of the situation, then I'm not going to be whom you want me to be. They told Jeremiah, stop prophesying in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. You know what God told him? Keep prophesying. Ezekiel. They told Ezekiel. The Bible declares when he preached to them, he says, I don't care. He said, if they have hard looks towards you and a hard heart towards what you're saying, do not be dismayed. Keep prophesying. Reality is, church, no matter what the world perceives, the only hope for them is a bold, unashamed people of God, full of the power and the anointing of Christ Jesus with the simplicity of the gospel on our lips. That's what the, I don't care if they take my neck. I want to be in a place. Jesus said, you can't even be my disciple unless you're willing to give your neck. This is the call. This is the highest of the highest call, church. And you've been called. You've answered the call. You went through the gate. Get on the narrow path. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Understand your purpose in this world. Understand time is running short. Understand we're really living in the last days. And if you don't redeem the time, we'll lose it. It's time to get something in our spirit that's more than what we've just been hanging on to for years. For years we've neglected the ministry of Jesus and what he did. For years we've read about the book of Acts, but we're not doing the book of Acts. For years we've done this. For years we've gone through the routine. It's time, church, to step into the reality, to step into the river, to go from the ankle to the neck, to get to a place where you're swimming in the spirit of the living God, a place where you're infilled and empowered with the power of God and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do not grow cold and indecent towards the things of God or the service or the work of God. God says, I'm wanting to take us. God's telling us tonight. He wants to take us to a place, a place where we're filled with the Spirit. He wants to fill us and immerse us with the Spirit. He wants to equip us for service. He wants to equip us to do His work and to bring this powerful gospel this powerful gospel, which saved me, which saved you, which saved Brother Carl, which saved Brother Tyler, which saved all of us, this powerful gospel. Lord, we come before you. Would you lift your hands and your hearts?